Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Joanne Kwai, your host for today. I'm a PhD candidate at Kalster University in Sweden and an affiliated PhD with the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. Joining me today is Jing Hanzhen, Professor of China and International Studies at Lancaster University. His research focuses on China's domestic and international politics. We'll be talking about his latest book, Artificial Intelligence with Chinese Characteristics, National Strategy, Security, and Authoritarian Governance. The book is the first book-length study focusing on China's AI politics. Jinghai, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So shall we begin by your definition of artificial intelligence? What is AI? Would you please give us some examples? Well, I think this is a very good question. I think nowadays AI has almost become a slogan to me. It is the buzzword across the world, including China. We should define AI clearly. And seems to me, AI is a very much umbrella term, referring to many meanings in different contexts. In my book, I mainly refer AI to a wide range of digital technology with ability to perform tasks that would really require human intelligence. In that regard, there are three types of AI, which includes narrow AI, general AI, and super AI. So narrow AI, also people would call it weak AI, refers to digital technology with a narrow range of ability that is dedicated to specific tasks, such as the virtual assistants in your iPhone, Siri, or the drone robots, or a self-driving car like Tesla. It is the most basic generation of AI and performs below human level. The current state of AI development actually all belongs to this narrow generation of AI. The general AI, also called strong AI, is more advanced version that is yet to be achieved. It will have the ability that can perform as good as human intelligence. And the most advanced type, which is super AI, and which is still hypothetical, represents the most advanced generation of digital technology currently conceived. It will have the strong self-awareness and be able to surplus human intelligence in all areas. And in all the science frictions we talk about, many of them refers to actually super AI. And this definition is very much critical to my book and also to the Chinese context, because AI is not used as uniform concepts. It is used as a catchphrase, and to vigorously develop AI, develop China into an AI superpower, has now been used by the Chinese government as a policy slogan to mobilize domestic actors. And the concept per se has leaving considerable room for interpretation. There is neither coherent understanding nor unified use of the concept of AI in China. Precisely because of this, a lot of Chinese concepts we need to understand very clearly. AI, for example, and AI economy, and the AI core industry, and all those kind of concepts appear in the Chinese documents with specific numbers to measure them. Should be very careful regarding the definition of it. Otherwise, then we are into some misunderstanding or confusion regarding those terms. So the title of the book is Artificial Intelligence with Chinese Characteristics. Can you tell us what do you mean by AI with Chinese characteristics? Right. So the overall argument of my book is saying that China's AI approach is sophisticated and multifaced. 
is shaped by its domestic political and economic environment, which has mixed implication to China. I call this Chinese approach AI with Chinese characteristics. Given my background on Chinese politics, I think socialism with Chinese characteristics is a good reference of it. And this refers to how Chinese concepts, which adapt into China's conditions, make it unique. And what is unique, or what precisely are the Chinese characteristics? In this book, I mainly focus on three areas. The first Chinese characteristics focus on the China's unique way of designing a strategy, which make it different from the United States. Many in the U.S. has been actually characterized China's approach as a top-down geopolitical-driven, nationally concerted approach. But my book actually saying this is wrong. My book really look into how there are strategic planning of AI. Um, from the top, at the same time, the, how China's AI plan has been driven by contestation struggles for resources among domestic stakeholders, who are actually economically motivated and have little awareness of geopolitical picture, and how China's AI strategy is actually an upgrade of existing AI initiative to the national environment. I think China's AI strategy should be better understood as a broad policy manifesto. Accommodating competing interests of various domestic stakeholders to develop AI in China is a political slogan for mobilization, and this is different from how the AI strategy in the U.S. and in Europe. And the second major difference and、uh, characteristics is the way how China securitizes AI. And usually, when people talking about securitization. Of how politician has been making some topic out of normal politics and make it a matter of security. They talk about this in a democracy, especially a Western democratic society. But in China, there's still a considerable need to convince the domestic actors. So securitization of this AI to make AI a national security matter in China's authoritarian context is also very unique. In this book, I argue that Chinese government has been using securitization. Trying to mobilize local actors, market actors, intellectuals, and general public, and this has been further escalated by the growing tension between China and the U.S. But while the securitization helped to achieve some government goals, it also brings a very complicated implication to China as well. So that's the second major characteristics of this AI approach in China. And third one is obviously China's unique political system、uh, combined with its AI approach. China is a large authoritarian regime and probably most politically resourceful regime, who is now、uh, leading in AI and pioneering the governance of AI. So in this book, I talk about two things: is what happens when authoritarian value met AI, and B, what kind of ideology would a、uh, Robert believe in an authoritarian context. And in this book, I talk about different ways how AI has been empowering the authoritarian regime, but at the same time, bring considerable risk to the regime as well. Can you elaborate a little bit on the challenges and the potentials you just mentioned that AI could bring to the authoritarian regime? So, for the challenges regarding China's AI strategy, I think we have to look at that comparatively. Many in the U.S. or if you read some U.S. Congress report about China. They have been sensing some sort of jealous.、Uh, people, I'm not sure whether that might be the best word. People are jealous about China's whole of society approach, a nationally concerted strategy of that. And many has been saying, you know, we should be doing the same in the U.S. We should integrate a whole of state approach to develop AI in the U.S. in order to confront or in order to 
maintain American AI supremacy. My book disagrees with this characterization of or the summary of AI in China. But the book did talk about yes, the Chinese approach is a combination of state-driven at the same time with the important role of local and subnational actors. And the benefit of that is very quickly mobilize domestic actors and draw their attention on the matter of AI. But the challenge of that is also the Chinese approach has the issue of low efficiency, waste of resources. Because now to develop AI has become a slogan, it has been manipulated by domestic, especially local and subnational actors, leading to considerable problems like efficiency risk of resources. At the same time, it has increased anxiety of China's geopolitical competitors, leading to an undesirable international environment for China. The second major aspect of benefits and cost is the way China securitizes AI, the way Chinese government make it into a security matter. Obviously. By doing that, I think Chinese government successfully mobilized domestic actors to achieve its goals in its discourse to make people believe it is actually a security matter and talk about AI in a security discourse. That's a way to achieve the government goal. At the same time, it has also pushed by talking of firmly situated AI in a national security matter. In this book, I argue it has been pushed China's AI approach into a inward-looking. A nationalistic direction, which might bring a series of severe consequences for China's AI industry and leadership ambition. Specifically, in this book, I talk about how this makes China less attractive to global labor and capital by producing a nationalistic environment. How it has been hybrid industry efficiency by focusing on self-reliance of AI, or how it make it harder for China to lead global AI governance to further reinforce technological rivalry. By negating the potential of global AI cooperation and how it constrains Chinese AI companies to global access. So overall, all those could undermine China's key objective of fostering AI, booming AI economy, and becoming a global AI leader. In the third parts of authoritarian governance and values, obviously AI has been very useful to improve not only China's. Public services, but also to strengthen China's authoritarian governance. It has been proving very helpful to the state surveillance, for example. However, I think the overall impact of AI on China's authoritarian rules、uh, needs to look wider around surveillance and technological part. I think it depends on three key pillars of political legitimacy. One is economic growth. Second is social stability. Third is ideology. In this book, I look into. How AI will work with authoritarian regime depends on whether AI is able to achieve, or whether China is able to achieve a booming AI economy, as it claims to be. Right, three steps given by state council by 2020, 2025, 2030, there are listed out targets of AI economy in China. And second is social stability. AI is going to bring fundamental transformation to the world, including China. This will lead to the issue of massive unemployment. For example, we don't need so many laborers. We don't need so many people to work because AI is able to replace a lot of jobs. So, what is going to happen to social stability of China, which is Communist Party thinks that is crucial to everything, and also AI is going to need to wider social economic inequality. Uh, imagine the future job requires considerable education in computer science, or needs a lot more education than it need now. So, social economic inequality and how this has been having a conflict with a communist society in which 
everybody is equal promised by the Communist Party, right? That's challenging the ideology of the Chinese Communist Party. This is going to bring fundamental challenges. And third is how AI might work in the longer run with authoritarian and communist values. Some Chinese scholars have been talking about potentially whether uh, in the longer run AI is going to help us deliver a communist society because AI is able to provide sufficient material goods in which we don't need any human labor at all. And all the government role is to distribute those material goods. And in a world where everyone have sufficient access to material goods, are we achieving Marxist utopia version of a communist society? That is a, a very interesting discussion of what the future might look like in the age of AI in the longer term. And you mentioned that AI could widen the inequality in the society. Can you give us some examples of that? I think it talks to two things. First thing is domestic socioeconomic inequality. And this refers to two, one skill. So imagine now, in the future, I think we don't need taxi drivers anymore, do we? I mean, Tesla is now able to achieve a lot of self-driving car in a much more safer way. And people in long drives from London to Edinburgh, you don't need people there to drive. You can actually sit back, enjoy a movie, or have a sleep, and you'll be there. So we don't need so many drivers. I think taxi drivers in the 10, 20 years will be replaced by uh, self-driving cars. Similarly, in translation, I think AI now has been playing a very important role in translation. In hospital, again, AI, for example, doing the scanning, doing some basic work for human has been playing a very important role. In the financial industry, AI been replacing a lot of financial analysis. AI is able to analyze a lot more data than a human being can do. So I think in all aspects, all the area, we have already seen the impact of AI and how AI is able to do a lot of things. And I think in the longer run, we don't need so many workers. So for the future job in the age of AI, if you no longer have advanced job skill, you are unlikely to be able to situated in a very good job or have a job at all. So that is going to widening the social economic gap. So skill is one thing. I think AI skill is one thing to make lead to this social economic inequality. Second is capital. So now with more capital, if you have capital in your pockets to invest in AI, it's going to lead to more return to that. But if you don't have it, then you are going to the one become worse off. So the capital is also something leading to the wider social economic inequality. And that's domestic one. You have also international socioeconomic inequality as well. What I have seen here is AI is really one of the probably a game changer of widening gap between developed world and developing world. Uh, in the future, with developed countries like United States or Europe, who are able to invest in AI and to build up their strengths in those areas, their economy is going to become stronger and stronger. But for developing countries who do not have uh, AI shortage or do not have capital and the talent to invest in AI, their gap with the developed country is going to become wider. So this is going to lead to an international socioeconomic inequality as well. So you've touched upon the AI race between China and US. And since we're here situated in Europe, can you tell us a little bit where does Europe sit in this uh, global AI development? And how is the AI development in China different from that of the US and Europe? 
So that's a good question, actually, when I look into some of the debate in Europe and uh, hearing from how European colleagues talk about AI. I think that is a question probably in minds of many policymakers in Europe. So when we talk about uh, the AI competition, people look into America, look into China, how you, what is the unique approach of Europe? Some people have been characterized American way as a market-oriented AI approach, and Chinese way as a state-driven approach, although I do not necessarily agree in the book, and Europe as an ethics-oriented approach or customer-oriented approach, in which Europe trying to put regulation first and also ensure it is an AI, but is developed an ethical AI for greater goods. GDPR, for example, is one thing has been put forward by some of the voice in Europe pointing out a unique kind of role or unique European approach. So where is Europe? I think in comparison with China and the US, the Europe do not have the same kind of resources or kind of approach with China and the US, but the Essex first approach is making Europe different. And how does China different from US and Europe? Well, I think different in many ways. First of all, if you compare China with the US approach, US is market-oriented. China, I would say, is state-driven plus market-oriented. So there are two levels. One is the top-level design, which the state wants to achieve something. And at the second level, also bottom-up market game there. So it's combination of a state planning plus market-oriented. So I would say China is more state-driven than the US and less market-oriented. Comparison with Europe, obviously, China is also very different because China's have not been putting ethics as a key criteria driving its AI agenda. I think for China, what is most important is to boosting its AI economy. Although now, I think in the past few years, China has been increasingly pay attention to regulations and ethics of AI, but its emphasis on this matter is not comparable with that in Europe. And also what makes China different from Europe and US is we have to bear in mind, China is a developing country and in which it has very relatively low GDP per capita in comparison with the US and Europe. So China's low GDP per capita, low labor capital, means that the market or the financial incentive for Chinese industry to use AI to replace human labor are much less than that in US and Europe. In US and Europe, because of the higher labor cost of the regulation all sorts of things, then there are much more market incentive and financial incentive to replace human labor by AI. But in China, it is less so. And what would implications be for the global order of AI's development in China? Well, I think that's something my book wants to address. I started a bet and something I probably should, my, another paper which I'm working on, are trying to do a bit more. So I think in the book, I'm saying that, I'm not, instead of saying what might be the implication for the global order, my book are saying what might not be the implication for the global order. The book started with how many in the U.S. has been summarizing China's AI strategy as a geopolitical-driven, top-down kind of strategy to contest for global AI order. My book saying this is wrong because there is considerable elements of bottom-up 
considerable elements of domestic competition among Chinese actors. This would mean that what Beijing wants wouldn't necessarily be what might be implemented, and there is no coherent and clear goal of what Beijing wants to achieve. I think the implication of that is we shouldn't be exaggerating the implication of China's AI strategy for global order or what it can be to be. Clearly, China wants to shape norms, but uh, is still a bit far from that. And more specifically, I think this this needs to next. So, what if some of the implications or consequences are unintended? Then, uh, what they might be? I think one thing is global AI order.、Um, it's about global governance. Who shapes future of AI? Right? It's relevant to what kind of norms we use, what kind of rule we use, or even what kind of ideology AI is going to believe. And I think this is quite important. China has been working to shape global norms and trying to maintain influence in shaping the future order of AI. But I think so far it's not very successful. If you look at The global AI regimes.、Uh, you don't really find a place where China play、uh, critical roles in shaping the global AI order. So what China is going to do? That is something very interesting. I do see a few AI regimes that are created to against China, but not the, a specific one where China, China can exert its influence. So will China do something as China did with Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which China will work with Belt and Road country to create another set of rules for AI? That would be something to observe. And also,、uh, the U.S.-China geopolitical competition has been leading to a kind of securitization of AI, making the transnational cooperation more and more difficult,、uh, putting it under the shadow of geopolitics. And this would mean transnational cooperation. Will be shadowed by geopolitical competition, and the ultimate consequence of that for global AI order is we are going to see the emerging global AI order, but in a very fragmented way, which would mean a very fragmented global governance structure, and uh, uh, which are being piecemealed in different parts, and this is not necessarily a good thing because we can not coordinate a coherent and consistent human approach. Or global approach, global response to the challenge posed by AI governance.、Mm. And now you have this book recently published. Can you tell us a little bit what's your current project? What are some other interesting stuff you're working on? So in the book, actually, I set up in the last chapter. I set up the three major research agenda for the future, building on what I'm working on. One is how we can better understand China's AI strategy. I argue that it's important not only to better understand but also its implication for others. And B is focusing on securitization of AI in China and how this might go in the future. Third one is how also authoritarian governance might evolve with AI and、uh, how AI may be far embedded in that. And also how the governance part, how China's also authoritarian value might be further inserted into. Governance, especially global governance. That's a paper I'm writing about, trying to explore how China fits in the global AI governance and what might be the key challenge of that. But I think I point to a relatively more pessimistic picture, in which I don't find a place where China can play a role that it wants to be. I think the geopolitics is making it very difficult for China to play 
a major role in the future global AI governance. What China is going to do about that? Uh, I think that's something very interesting to be closely observed. Yeah, I do agree. This really deserves our ongoing observation. So, Jinghan, thank you so much again for joining us today. And to our listeners, you can connect with Jinghan on Twitter at J I N G H A N underscore Z E N G, and with me at Joanne Kui, J O N N E K U A I. Thank you for listening to the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.